Hi there and welcome to another OSLA podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. On rare occasions, the intrinsic ability of the heart to maintain a perfusing rhythm is compromised and external or transcutaneous pacing is required. Dr. Tim Belfour is a senior trainee in emergency medicine and he joins me today uh, to talk about this uncommon but life-saving procedure. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. Tim, when is pacing necessary? So transcutaneous pacing um, in emergency medicines uh, is a life-saving measure. Um, it's useful in patients who are bradycardic and are, are unstable due to that bradycardia. Um, when I say unstable, I mean patients that are shocked, patients that are uh, unconscious, uh, are having chest pains consistent with uh, myocardial ischemia, um, uh, those sort of things. Um, usually in these situations, um, the, the first measure is to give a bolus of atropine, sometimes repeat boluses to see if you get a satisfaction response um, but if that fails the next step is one of two things either to uh, give pressors such as isoprenaline uh, or um, um, or dibutamine um, or to go for transcutaneous pacing and is that's that's the context for which we see, uh, see this intervention is there any role for pacing in the context of an asystolic arrest for cut for example that's a good question. Um, uh, the answer is no, and uh, it's important to emphasise that. Um, if your patient doesn't have a pulse, um, uh, obviously that, that's a cardiac arrest and that's a different situation. It's important to say that because sometimes you will you will see um, uh, you, you will see a rhythm, sometimes a radicardic rhythm on the monitor during these things. Um, but if your patient doesn't have a pulse, then um, uh, pacing is not, uh, not effective. Can you walk us through the process of applying pacing? What are the steps involved in that process? Sure. Um, this will it will vary slightly as per your, the manufacturer of your defibrillator, but most most defibrillators nowadays will have a pacing module. Um, essentially, first of all, uh, you apply the uh, pads to the patient's chest as you uh, as you uh, would do to uh, uh, to defibrillate, um, and then uh, you have two um, two variables you can adjust. Then um, you can adjust the rate uh, and you can adjust uh, the current or the strength of every impulse. Um, essentially, you slowly adjust up the the current until you establish cap or get a, a get a pulse after every pacing spike usually this will be somewhere between 40 and 80 milliamps of, uh, of strength uh, then you adjust the rate to a physiological uh, to a physiological number so usually between 60 and, uh, and 100 and you mentioned capture there what do you mean by that term mm. Um, so capture is when you uh, uh, your patient produces a pulse after after every pacing spike so you're successfully um uh, you're, you're sex successfully pacing the patient um there are two ways of measuring whether you have uh, where you have capture the first is mechanical so physically feel the patient's pulse um uh, after uh, and uh, if after every impulse you are feeling a pulse that's successful and the second method is electrical capture. So look at your ECG monitor. Um, following every downward pacing spike, is there a QRS complex? Um, if the answer to both of those questions is yes, you can then say that you have uh, you have established capture. All right. So we've established capture. We've got a pulse back. Um, what are the, the how should we titrate the the machine? How do we adjust our settings to get it right for that particular patient? Mm. Um, so I suppose the most important thing uh, uh, would be to keep reassessing the patient clinically. Um, uh, are they maintaining normal, normal blood pressure? Are they clinically well uh, well perfused? Um, if, uh, if you don't think so, um, uh, you could try and adjust either those settings, either adjust the rate up or down a little to see if, uh, see if that produces a good response from the patient. 
the obvious consequence of pacing is that the patient starts to perfuse, they get cerebral perfusion, they start to wake up and the pacing mm. itself is quite uncomfortable. How do you manage that situation? What are some of the tips and tricks? Yeah, you're quite right. Sedation should be considered in every patient that you're pacing. It is both painful and distressing. It's like a, uh, it's like defibrillating a patient repeatedly um, every time they have a uh, they have a pulse. Um, so so, uh, so once they they start to become conscious again, um, it's worth uh, worth uh, considering administering a sedative. Um, this will vary between uh, between practitioners' experience and, uh, and and departments. In my experience, midazolam would sometimes be used either one or two milligrams for the normal seventy kilogram uh, uh, patient, uh, and for pain relief, either morphine or fentanyl, perhaps. Um, uh, I've heard of ketamine, for example, being used for for sedation as well. So this this will vary. This will vary slightly between departments. Now, Tim, the other thing that has been suggested in that scenario is demand pacing. Can you tell us about that? Mm. Uh, yeah, demand pacing or standby pacing, as it would sometimes be referred to, um, it's a it's useful in the patients that are um, uh, that are have an abnormal rhythm or are bradycardic and are not currently unstable. Um, but you uh, you, uh, you suspect that they may become they're, they're at higher risk of progressing to unstable bradycardia. Um, uh, so what you can what you can do is uh, put the patients on the put the pads on the patient's chest as uh, as normal, and program the machine to to kick in. If if the patient's rate does uh, it does deteriorate um, it's actually relatively simple to um, uh, to set up all you do is put the pads on the chest uh, establish capture as normal and then just set the rate to below what the what the patient's current rate is so if they then deteriorate the pacing then kicks in it's useful in that specific scenario so we've now got over the crisis part of this um, event uh, hmm. What now? What? How do we optimise the patient? Where should they go and how long can we continue to post them for? Hmm. Um, you're quite right. The, the next step should be considered uh, immediately after uh, uh, pacing, pacing is established. It is a short-term temporary measure to, to stabilise a patient and um, any pacing for a long period um, uh, in um, in, in theory, any patient pacing over 30 minutes can start to produce burns on the patient's chest. So you need to consider the next step. Um, in my experience, that uh, this would usually be either a transvenous pacing um, or the implantation of a permanent uh, permanent pacemaker by a, uh, by a cardiologist. Um, I'm not aware of a specific target time that should be used. This will probably vary between uh, manufacturers, but between perhaps between four and six hours should be a good uh, um, uh, should be a good target. Are there any other tips and tricks that you've got to help people in this sort of scenario, things that have come up previously for you? Yes, uh, I'll, I'll mention two things in particular. Um, you may uh, the first thing you may uh, notice on the pacing module there's a thing called the four to one button. Um, this is uh, this is very useful if you have a patient that is being paced, uh, but you want to assess whether the underlying rhythm has changed at all. Obviously, it would be dangerous to switch off the pacing or to remove the pads from the chest in this scenario. So what the four to one button does is it um, sets the pacer to only transmit one in every four uh, impulses. Therefore, you can read the rhythm in between to see, uh, to see what the morphology what the morphology is. Um, so that's, that's a, a, one useful thing to be aware of. Um, the second thing as, uh, as well, uh, it uses uh, defibrillation pads to pacing, and these have the capability to, uh, to read and monitor a patient's rhythm. Uh, but it's just important to be aware in the case of pacing, the, uh, the pads cannot both 
transmit an impulse and read the rhythm at the same time. So in this situation, you would need a, a three lead ECG monitor on the patient as well to be able to monitor that rhythm. This usually would be the case in uh, in, in the unstable patient, but uh, just to make uh, uh, just to emphasize that in this 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 scenario in particular. Tim, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. No worries, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslercommunity.com.